Scripture reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 12 through chapter 4, verse 6. Paul has been talking about the ministry of Christ and how the glory of Christ is greater than the glory that Israel saw on Mount Sinai when there was smoke and thunder And he says, since we have such a hope that the glory of Christ is greater, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statements of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves... But Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. O Lord, you are full of mercy and kindness. We ask that you would have mercy on us. We want to see the light of the glory of God right now. And we come like little children asking for just a cup of water. And we trust that you will give us abundantly more than what we need right now because you are a good father. We have come here, we are about to listen to your word, and some people have come discouraged. And I ask that you would strengthen us by your word. Some people have come in sin. And I pray that you would confront, convict, humble, and heal us with your word. Some have come and have never experienced the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus, and we ask that you would save them today. 
Some have come distracted and unable to listen. Satan is going to try to prevent them from hearing and steal the word. I pray that you would not allow Satan to do that. Do not allow him to interfere. Do not allow him to blind the hearts and minds of these people. We ask that you would grant us ears that will listen. Father, some will receive the word, but they will not obey it. I pray that they would hear the disaster that comes when we hear without obedience. And I pray that you would teach us to fear you by your word. And Father, some have come longing to receive your word and they want to love it and they want to do it. And I pray that that would be me and everyone here. Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing, including listening to this message. We depend on you to help. We ask that you would help us to listen and obey. And we praise you for what you are about to do by your Holy Spirit among us. And we ask for all of these things in the name of Jesus, by his blood. Amen. I want to encourage you this morning to turn to the book of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 8. We are continuing a series that that we've begun a few months ago now. Luke is a a large book. It's about three quarters of the way through the Bible. It's very easy to find. And if you open your Bible and see the things that I am preaching about, it will help you very much. As you turn there, I want to ask if you've ever gotten a phone call saying that you won a free cruise. Or maybe you've received a phone call that says, there is a warrant out for your arrest. And you need to call back right away before the police knock down your door. Or maybe you've heard from Rachel. She is from Cardholder Services, and she calls me at least twice a month, assuring me that there's nothing wrong with my account, but that I'm eligible for a credit line increase, and all I need to do is simply call her back. I remember in 2003, the Federal Trade Commission created a national do-not-call list. And this was perhaps the last time as a nation that we were united as a people in hope. (laughs) I dutifully entered my number into the national list along with 200 million other people. No exaggeration, there are over 200 million people on the list. And since that time, I have only seen an increase in the number of junk phone calls that I have received. Oddly enough, people who are trying to cheat you out of all your money and load you with thousands in debt do not care if you put your name on a list that says, please don't call me. Apparently, if you have planned on committing grand larceny, you don't care if the person you're stealing from objects to receiving a phone call. So now, let me ask you, when you receive a phone call from a number that you don't know, what do you do? You don't answer it. You ignore it. 
So John Barrett is a lawyer from West Virginia. He decided that something needed to be done. So as a lawyer, he filed a class action lawsuit, in particular against Dish Network Corporation, for violating the law in calling people on the do not call list. And John Barrett won $61 million on behalf of everyone who was ever called by Dish Network Corporation trying to sign them up for their services. That means that in the time frame where the law was passed and they continued to violate it, that every single phone call they made is worth $1,200. And so John Barrett called everyone that Dish Network called and said, there has been a class action lawsuit and you are eligible to collect. If you would like to receive the money that is owed to you, please call this number. And do you know what happened? No one believed him. He had $61 million to give away. And and by the way, my source for this, I read this in the Wall Street Journal. The title of the article was, You may be eligible for a cash reward. Please don't hang up. It was published April 18th, 2018. This is not a rumor. This is true. But do you know why we don't listen when people call us on the phone? It's because our hearts and attitudes have changed before we even answer. We already have a mindset to disbelieve anyone we don't know calling on the phone. In fact, you probably feel irritated and maybe even self-righteous. You might even feel justified in being rude if you answer the phone and actually talk to a real person. You have hardened your heart to telemarketers and scammers, but they rudely insist on calling again and again and again. And I am here to tell you this morning that God is not like a telemarketer. If you do not listen to him, he will stop calling you. At this point, In Luke's gospel, we have seen Jesus in a public preaching ministry. He has cleansed lepers. He has welcomed tax collectors. He has forgiven sinners. He is universally condemning sin and universally forgiving sinners. And he has made people angry. He has forgiven sins that other people thought should never be forgiven. He has welcomed people that no one else would welcome. And he has shown that there is some fruit to his ministry, that lives are being changed. People are finding forgiveness and salvation. And so large crowds are coming to hear him. And in Luke chapter 8, Jesus does something totally unexpected, something very confusing. As the large crowds flock to listen to him, he stops preaching with clarity. 
He no longer openly communicates the hope of the gospel. He puts a veil over his message. So he preaches a public parable. He preaches a public parable. Look with me at verses 4 through 8 of Luke's gospel, chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. It says, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Luke describes massive crowds. He says, a great crowd. And then he indicates that that people are coming from town after town. It's not just that a lot of people from one town came. It's from town after town. Many people are gathering. So there is a massive crowd to listen to Jesus. And some of you have heard this parable before. If you've been around church, you may know what Jesus explains and what he means by this. But imagine for just a moment, you have never heard this parable. You're sitting in that crowd. How would you interpret it? Jesus gave no explanation as to what it meant. He just said a sower goes and, and sows and, and three quarters of his seed is, is wasted. One quarter of it produces a hundredfold. And then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. How would you understand that? What would you take away? You might think, maybe just a, a general interpretation, you, you would think something like, well, you win some and you lose some. No matter what you do in life, only some of it will work out. And maybe you would even walk away encouraged. You might think, three quarters of my life was a failure, but this last quarter is going to produce a hundredfold. You might be deeply encouraged, and you might even think, all my failures, they're not my fault. It's the soil that I've cast my seed on, and I can't do anything to change that. But now I'm going to have success. And so you might go home and think, man, that Jesus, he is a great preacher. I love his illustrations. But you totally missed his meaning. Jesus intended far more. And if you don't know what he means, you are lost. So he preaches this public parable No explanation for the crowds. And then he gives a private explanation. Look at verses 9 through 15 as he tells his disciples what this means. So verse 9. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. Why? So that seeing they may not see, and hearing 
they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The one along the path are those who have heard. When the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. There are two things that we need to wrestle with in this private explanation. First is that Jesus deliberately communicates in such a way so that many people will hear his message but not understand it. And he does it intentionally. He's quoting a passage from the Old Testament that describes God's judgment on Israel that they will hear the word but they will not believe it and be saved. And we need to remember God has already spoken to these people with the bold, crystal clear preaching of John the Baptist and the joyful coming of our Savior Jesus, and they would not listen. You remember what he says in chapter 7 as they ask him about John's ministry? Jesus says, to what shall I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? He says, they are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance and we sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say, he has a demon. And the son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, no matter how God spoke to his people, they would not listen. And so Jesus no longer publicly preaches in ways that are easy to understand. You can listen to the message, you can smile and walk away and have no idea what God is doing or what is required of you. But you are still responsible because you did hear the word. And then after Jesus says that, that the reason he's speaking in parables is to condemn the people who rejected him, Jesus explains to the disciples what the parable means. So look with me in verse 12. He he shows each of the four different soils and what they're like. Says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So every time the word is preached, every time the Bible is open, you are receiving the seed. And the one along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Jesus makes it very clear in this verse, if you don't believe his word, you will not be saved. 
Salvation comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And if you do not listen to the word of God, you will not be saved. Jesus came preaching a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If you do not repent, you will not be forgiven. And if you don't think that you need forgiveness, you are lost. There are many people today that say, I am who I am. I I am the way that I was made. And you just need to deal with it. You just need to accept me for how I am and who I am. People will even say things like, God doesn't make mistakes and he made me, so I'm fine the way I am. And they ignore the clear word of God that says all of us are born in sin. All of us deserve the wages of sin and the wages of sin is death. And if we do not listen to the gospel of Jesus and find forgiveness of sins through his blood, we are lost. And Jesus himself will be brutally honest about what it means to be lost. He says, if you die in your sins, you go to an eternal hell. You will be separated from God and tormented forever. Jesus is crystal clear. We will see that in Luke chapter 16. He does not mince words. So there are those who hear and simply do not believe. Then he says, verse 13, there are those who believe, but their faith fails because of suffering. Look look again at verse 13. He says, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. They went down an aisle. They had a conversion experience. They prayed the sinner's prayer. They were baptized. They were excited that they heard the gospel and they believed it and received it with joy and they were excited. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, they fall away. So maybe you believe, but you're diagnosed with cancer. Or maybe you believe and your marriage falls apart. Or maybe you believe, but your kids walk away from the faith. And you start to think that God is a monster. You become angry with him. And your faith withers and fails because there was no depth to your conversion. You did not grow, you did not produce fruit. And so when the storms come... Your faith dies. Scripture says God allows suffering in your life to purify you. James says count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. When God allows something awful into your life, he's not a monster. Even the suffering that he allows is intended for your good. But many People stop believing in God when life does not go the way they want. Jesus says, even if you look like a Christian for a little while, it doesn't mean you are one. Then there are those who believe, but ultimately faith fails because they love pleasure more than God. Look at verse 14. It says, and as for what fell among the thorns... They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. 
The New Testament is very clear. If you do not produce fruit, you do not genuinely know the Lord. And, and Jesus says in John's gospel, the Father prunes the vine, and anyone not producing fruit is cast into the fire and burned up. This type of soil fails because they love cars and houses and good food and even family more than they love the God that created it all. They want to have their cake and eat it too. They, they want to enjoy the forgiveness of sins and also the pleasures of this life. And, and God gives us pleasures to enjoy. The question is not, do you enjoy them? The question is, do you enjoy them so much that they strangle your faith? Because that happens to many, many people. There's no room to grow in the faith because you spend your time and your money on things that have nothing to do with God. It's a question of where are your priorities? Where is your heart? And Jesus warns, there are those who will be lost for all of eternity because they loved pleasure more than God. And then finally, there is the fruitful soil. Look with me again at verse 15. He says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This means that you, you believe and you will suffer at some point. It's guaranteed. But you hold fast through suffering. Your heart might be torn in two, but you cling to the rock of your salvation. It means that you surrender your treasures, that nothing in your life matters to you more than God. And you care more about the growth of the kingdom than you do about your own private kingdom. You give sacrificially, not begrudgingly because you have to, but because you long to see the kingdom grow. And the fruit that Jesus talks about, in one sense, it's very simple. It's other people being saved. It's other people seeing the hope you have and wanting the same hope. And so they confess their sins and find peace and forgiveness. But that's not the only fruit that God produces in us. God begins to change you from the inside out so that as you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as you rest in his blood, his blood cleanses you from all of your sin so that not only are you forgiven, but you are changed into a righteous person. You no longer continue in the same sins that you committed before Christ. You love people the way he commands. You're not selfish you're not greedy with your time or your money, but you are generous. In fact, you become loving. You become joyful. You become peaceful. You become patient. You become kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled. You're not angry. You're not bitter. You're not impure. You don't, you don't look at pornography online because it has no draw for you anymore. You become a righteous child of God as that fruit grows in your life. When Jesus says that, that they hold fast in an honest and good heart, the implication is the hearts 
that were in those other three types of soil are not honest or good. They were using God to get what they wanted. They wanted their sins forgiven. Who doesn't? But when God didn't give them the things that their hearts also desired, they walked away. They had no patience. They were not honest in saying they loved God. Oh, they they probably said it with their lips. But in reality... They love their houses and cars and their luxury boats and all of the things that come with wealth more. Or they were so wounded by the pain of life that they didn't believe God loved them and they walked away. That will happen. You know people that has happened to. You may be one of those people. So the question for you this morning is, Which of these soils are you? But before we go there, we need to see, not only is there a public parable, a private explanation, I want to be very clear, there is a public light. So look with me at verses 16 through 18, and notice, God is not being unfair in how he proclaims this word in in a parable here. So look, he says, No one, verse 16, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. You might accuse Jesus of hiding the light of God's word by speaking in parables. Jesus is very clear that is not the case. God is going to continue to spread the light of the kingdom. If you remember, all the way in chapter 1, as God announced that John the Baptist was going to be born and prepare the way for Christ and that the Messiah was coming and that there would be forgiveness of sins... Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, is praising the Lord and he says this. He's praising God for his kingdom. He says, salvation is coming to God's people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God. God is not unfair. He's not a monster. He's pouring out his mercy. He says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The light is shining. The gospel is being preached. The problem is people don't care. In John's gospel, in chapter 3, we all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. And, And 17, for the Son of God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might live through him. Those are verses we love, but no one quotes verse 19. Verse 19 says, The light has come into the world, and this is the condemnation that people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They did not want to embrace the light because they loved their sin more than the Savior. 
And I believe that this is still true right now. The, the light is going out constantly. You can hear the gospel preached in so many places. You can hear it in so many ways. And if you listen to the word and you desire to understand and you obey what you understand, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, will help you understand more and more and your faith will grow and your life will produce fruit. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. But if you do not care about the word of God, even the faith that you think you have will become less and less important. Jesus says there is going to come a day when everyone understands. There is going to come a day when there is nothing secret anymore. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. But for many people, when that happens, it will be too late. The scripture says it is appointed for man to die once. And after that, the judgment. Are you ready to die? You don't know when it's going to happen. One day, every knee will bow to Jesus. Every tongue will confess he is Lord. But in that day, some will lose everything and go to hell for eternity. Jesus says to the one who has, if you have trusted in him for the forgiveness of sins, more will be given. You will continue to know more, just like the disciples who were trusting in him. And he explained openly what that parable meant. But from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. In other words, the one who believed and persevered, the one who bore fruit with patience, you will find an eternal joy in the presence of God with all the blessings of the kingdom. But to the one who thought he believed but never obeyed, he'll lose even what he thought he had. It's a sobering reality. Jesus confronts us again and again. What do you do with his word? What will you do with it today? And if that sobering reality terrifies you, and it should for some of you, Jesus ends this section with a promise of family. Notice what happens in verse 19. It says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. There is no spiritual advantage to being physically related to Christ. Jesus' mom shows up while he's preaching to this massive crowd. They say, Your mom's here. And Jesus says, My mother and brothers are the people who listen and do the word of God. And here's hope. You might be discouraged and you might worry that God will give up on you. You might wonder, what if I'm one of those other soils? What if my faith is not genuine? All of us know our own sins. All of us know that we continue to struggle. The good soil is not necessarily perfect soil. It's just soil that perseveres in believing the word of God. So you might hear this word and you might be afraid, but but there's real hope here. Jesus says to you, if with humility you hear the word of God and you repent by faith 
and believe in the gospel, that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, you will be the closest of family to him. You will be closer than a physical mother or a physical brother. So let me encourage you, listen to the word every time it's preached, every time it's opened. Has there been a time in your life that you have repented? Have you been baptized? Because if not, you need to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive your sins and follow him in obedience by being baptized. Jesus says so many times, if if you take a, a little pencil or a pen and just underline every time he says, hear, hear, he says again and again and again how important it is just to listen to the word of God. There's no hope if you don't listen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You will not believe if you don't hear what God says. He emphasizes it so many times. Verse 8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 18, take care then how you hear. For to one who has, more will be given. And from one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. And then verse 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Are you listening? When someone opens the Bible, do you sit down in reverence to hear the words of God? This is not about the person preaching. Every time the Bible is open, we ought to tremble at the very words of God. Do you have respect for God's word? Will you silence all other distractions and just listen? Because if you don't listen, God will stop talking to you. He will stop calling you. There will come a day when it is too late. And Jesus says, even what you think you have will be taken away from you. It is Deadly urgent that you listen to the word of God. If you have ignored God's word in the past, if you are ignoring it right now, ask for God's mercy and obey the Lord Jesus. Listen to his word. And then think about what kind of soil you are. Do you allow Satan to take the word away? Do you allow cell phones and distractions to take your mind from the word of God when you ought to be paying attention? Do you allow phone calls and grocery lists and managing your things to prevent you from being in God's word daily? When the word is preached, you know, Satan doesn't wait for the end of the message to distract people. He distracts you at the beginning, at the middle, at the end, and every chance he can. And by the way, I would say to you, if you struggle to pay attention, try taking notes. I know that doesn't work for everyone, but if you are careful to try to pay attention to things that that God speaks directly to your heart and you write them down so you can remember them later, you will pay attention more. If you are thinking, what should I write down right now? You will be listening attentively and actively. And that may be something new, something you've never tried. Try it. Some of you today are already thinking about what you need to do when you leave. Some of you will never remember this sermon. You are the first soil. If that's you, ask God for deliverance. 
Satan is powerless before God. Satan is the one that comes and steals the word, right? So what do you do? You say, God, do not let Satan steal the word from my heart. God is not going to say no to that prayer. If you call on him and ask him for help, repent. Say, God, I have been careless with your word. I am not listening. Recognize that as a sin. We recognize it as a sin if someone speaks to us and we just ignore them, right? It's rude. But if God speaks to you and you ignore him, how much greater of a sin is that? So repent. Ask God to save you from the power of Satan to blind your heart and your mind. Call on him for help. He will help you. When you come on Sundays, come prepared to listen. Have reverence for the word of God. Recognize that this is God's inspired word. The Holy Spirit spoke these words. And we look to hear from God. It's not about what I say or what anyone else says. It's about what God says. So come ready to listen. Come into the service early. Sit down and pray and ask God to prepare your heart. Be ready to hear. That's what Jesus says to you. Be ready to listen. Ask God to open your heart. Maybe you have a heart to listen. Maybe you receive the word with joy, but do you allow it to change you? Does it produce fruit in your life? The frightening thing about this parable that Jesus gives us is that there are two soils that look alive, but they are dead. Some fail when they are tested by trials like cancer or bad marriages. Some fail because they love houses and cars and money more than Jesus. So the word does not produce mature fruit because their faith dies. As you look at your life, is that you? Do you value sitting under the word of God more than you value the other things in your life? Can you remember times when hearing God's word actually changed who you are? You used to believe one way, but now by the grace of God, you were confronted with the truth of the word and you changed. Your, your opinion actually changed. And you had to repent and ask forgiveness. And you had to talk to someone and say, I've sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? That's what happens when the word changes you. Has your character changed? Have you grown in patience? Have you grown in purity? Have you grown? Has the word changed you? Because if it hasn't, you may find that you thought you believed, but you believed in vain. Because you never allowed the word to produce fruit in your life. If that's you, you need to repent and ask God to give you a heart that not only loves to listen, but loves to put in practice what the word says. You maybe need to be baptized. You maybe need to repent of sins of infidelity. You maybe need to repent of worshiping money instead of God or over and above God. You know, many people have multiple gods. God really frowns on that. Maybe you need to repent and devote your heart entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and seek his kingdom first. You cannot seek God's kingdom if you do not listen to the word and let it change you. The Apostle Peter says, as newborn babes desire milk, you should desire the word of God. That means you need to have it regularly. 
Babies do not wait a week at a time to eat. They eat several times, every day and night. That means that you need to internalize the word of God so that when you wake up in the middle of the night, you don't even need to turn a light on. You don't need to read. You don't need to grab your phone. You think about the word that you heard. You think about the word that you memorized. If you need help getting into the word, I am volunteering right now. I would love to help you with that. I I heard about a, a brother pastor He saw a man that was struggling and and wanted to be in God's word more, but he had never developed the habit. And so he called him every day for 30 days. And just in five minutes time, they read Proverbs together. They just read one chapter and they got all the way through the book. I would do that for any one of you. And I know other people in our church who would do the same thing. If you have struggled to implement a habit, don't try to do it alone. God has not called you to serve him by yourself. We are a family, and I would love to help you grow in faithfulness to the word of God. I can print you a little reading plan. This is the reading plan I use. I have a little checkbox every time, and I will tell you it will change your life if you regularly spend time in the word of God and let it change you. I can make a little checklist piece of paper for you if you want. Or I can help you find a great listening plan. I want to beg you. Listen to the word of God. Maybe you're here today and to the best of your ability, you are listening and you are obeying. And if that's you, I want you to leave encouraged. I want you to trust in the promise of Jesus. You are his brother. You are his mother. He will give you more and more. Keep listening and keep obeying. Now watch how you listen to the word of God. And I want to close with just a personal testimony and be very honest for just a moment. The the past three months as a pastor at our church have been enormously difficult. There are many things that, that are deeply painful. But I will tell you that the word of God spoken from precious sisters in Christ and from brothers in Christ has strengthened me. And reading in my devotions that the power of Jesus and the love of God has strengthened my weak faith. I can tell you from personal experience, the promises of God will sustain you. So seek them in his word. It will do the same for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we have listened to your word. Now may we do what it says. I pray that you would give us the power and the resolve to be obedient. Let us make specific commitments and follow through. Let us be a people of your word. We can't do this without your help. So we ask now, in Jesus' name, amen.